Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 29th January 2021. I'm Ian Haydock. This time we have the latest on J&J's coronavirus vaccine, Novartis's Q4 results, safety issues around one jack inhibitor, Lily's growth plans, and the latest in the Script Asks series. Investors were hoping to see the results of Johnson & Johnson's Phase 3 trial for a potential one-dose vaccine for COVID-19 when the firm released its fourth-quarter financial results on 26 January. But management implored patience, and CEO Alex Gorski told the earnings call that the company will release Phase 3 data in the first week of February. With J&J's deep financial pockets and broad manufacturing capacity, the candidate could greatly impact the speed of a global vaccination effort especially if a single dose turns out to be effective. Jessica Mell writes that the firm has said it could produce 1 billion doses a year of J&J 7843735, which has the potential to be the third vaccine for COVID-19 cleared by the US FDA, after Pfizer, BioNTechs and Moderna's, which are two-dose and based on mRNA technology. We are going to have much more information in the coming days. We think it's very important to follow the data, to follow the science, Gorski said, responding to analysts' questions about the trial design. One piece of the data that could be particularly interesting is efficacy against the new mutated variants that have emerged, particularly B1351, identified in South Africa. We want to ensure that we've got a very robust programme, not only geographically, but also by ethnicity, gender, as well as a number of other different parameters, all as part of an effort to give us the best possible understanding of the efficacy and safety profile of our vaccine, Gorski said. The Phase 3 Ensemble trial initially sought to enrol 60,000 patients, but in December J&J announced the trial was fully enrolled with 45,000 subjects. The company is also running a separate Phase 3 trial testing a two-dose regimen of the vaccine, although data from this are not expected until the second half of the year. Novartis CEO Vas Narasimhan is hoping that business will start to return to normal in the middle part of this year, after the company unveils solid, if unspectacular, full year and fourth quarter 2020 results showing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Reflecting on an unusual year, Narasimhan told journalists that in Q1 we had very strong growth, in part driven by stocking, and in Q2 we saw a significant decline. This was when healthcare systems really faced the brunt of the pandemic. You had hospitals closing, you had lockdowns in most parts of the world. In Q3 there was a recovery, but clearly not back to their pre-pandemic levels, he noted. Narasimhan said that healthcare systems are operating at an 80% level on average, and in Novartis's case, the areas most affected in Q4 continued to be dermatology and ophthalmology, plus new launches, where it's more difficult to get new patient starts for medicines that involve hospital initiation. We estimate there was about 2-3% to of sales growth which didn't materialise because of the impact of the pandemic, he said. Despite a Q4 slowdown, Zolgensma for spinal muscular atrophy saw good uptake across Europe and Narasimhan said Novartis remains confident that the gene therapy can get towards $2 billion in peak sales. Kevin Grogan writes that the CEO added that the pandemic had had a minimal impact on our overall clinical trial efforts, although enrolment in some cancer and cardiovascular studies were affected in the earlier part of 2020. He said that the firm's investments in data science and digital technologies have enabled us to largely withstand the challenges that the pandemic has brought to clinical trials. The pandemic had little effect on the sales of Novartis's two top earners, with Cosentix, which is approved for psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis and two types of spondyloarthritis, 
again topping $1 billion. Pfizer's oral JAK inhibitor Zelljance is an anchor franchise the company hopes to use to build out a broader immunology portfolio, but renewed safety concerns could thwart the brand's future growth prospects. Increased risks of cardiovascular disease and cancers associated with the drug could also cast a cloud over newer JAK inhibitors like AbbVie's Rinvoc and Lilly's Olimiant. Pfizer announced on 27th January the results of a Phase 4 post-marketing safety study of Zelljans required by the US FDA, which failed to meet the co-primary endpoints of non-inferior safety versus a TNF inhibitor on major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACE, and malignancies excluding non-melanoma skin cancer. There were no differences between the twice-daily 5mg and 10mg doses of Zelljans that were studied. Pfizer said it is working with the FDA and other regulatory agencies to review the full trial results. The oral surveillance trial enrolled 4,362 subjects with rheumatoid arthritis, 50 and older, with at least one additional cardiovascular risk factor. Primary analyses included 135 subjects with MACE and 164 with malignancies. Of those treated with Zelljans, the most commonly reported MACE was myocardial infarction, and the most common reported malignancy was lung cancer. The drugs in the comparator arm were Amgen's Embril and AbbVie's Humira. Jessica Mill writes that the data do not bode well for Zelljans, which already has a challenging side effect profile. The drug is approved for several indications, including RA, psoriatic arthritis, and ulcerative colitis. It already carries warnings for serious infections, including tuberculosis, thrombosis, and for lymphoma and other malignancies. Nonetheless, physicians and patients have grown more comfortable with Zelljance over nearly a decade on the market. It was the first or JAK inhibitor approved for RA in 2012 and has grown into a blockbuster brand, partly due to indication expansion, but also because of increasing comfort with the side effect profile. Lily fueled deal-making chatter during past JP Morgan healthcare conferences with the $8 billion acquisition of Loxo Oncology in 2019, and the $1.1 billion purchase of Demira in 2020. But it got ahead of the meeting this year by revealing in December that it will pay up to $1.04 billion for Prevail Therapeutics. The two smaller deals are good examples of the types of acquisitions that the company will do going forward to fuel its long-term growth plans, Chief Financial Officer Joshua Smiley said. For the size we are today, and as we think of the next 15 to 20 years, we think we probably need to be in a position to launch three new drugs a year, Smiley explained in an interview with Scripps and Mandy Jackson during this year's virtual JPM meeting. And to be able to launch three new drugs a year, we've looked and said probably two of those make sense to come out of our own labs, and another, or a third of the pipeline, should come from business development. Lilly is in a good position to commit significant capital to R&D and business development, since the company also announced in December that it expects 11% revenue growth in 2021. However, that does not mean Lilly plans to execute a lot of multi-billion dollar transactions. We're generating a lot of cash flow, so we're not constrained on the balance sheet side, Smiley said. We're constrained mostly by the opportunities that we see. Anytime we acquire a company or a product or a potential product, we want it to be in our therapeutic areas that we're focused in today, and we want that potential product to have a hypothesis that could either be first or best in class, he said. Lilly also wants to buy drug candidates or companies at prices that add value on the back end for its shareholders, if that hypothesis plays out, he noted. 
So when we put those things together, what we said is the kind of deals we're going to do are probably going to be in the billion dollar kind of range, Smiley said. Finally, in the second part of a Script Asks series, Eleanor Malone puts together predictions for the coming year from multiple executives in an infographic article, where they touch on key issues such as collaboration, R&D and clinical processes, and farmers' reputation. In one example, Mark Erlander, who's CEO of Cardiff Oncology, says on farmers' reputation that every day we are hearing people quoting clinical data and talking about molecular biology that I haven't heard discussed so freely since I was a graduate student, including how mRNA technology has taken centre stage in the development of vaccines. I predict that this spirit of innovation will carry into 2021 beyond vaccines and into other areas of medicine, such as difficult-to-treat cancers. That's all for this week. Thanks very much for listening. And another reminder that this and all new and archive Informer Pharma Intelligence podcasts are now available on our new Spotify channel and also via the usual other providers and also your smart speaker. Bye for now.